Hey guys, this is Bruce from Combo Courses, and we've got another live presentation. I'm going to try to do these more often, just kind of testing out the water, see what I can do before I go back to work. Uh, when I go back to work, I don't know how much more of these I can do. So I figured this is a great opportunity to do more podcasts, lives, to interact more with you guys. And for this one, I'm going to just be answering some questions. Um, and let me start off with one I just recently got. And um, somebody asked me, can you explain in detail how to perform continuous monitor monitoring? And do you have um, do you have to test every control on your system inventory? And they said that we have 100 systems in one year. OK. In detail, let me explain. OK, so. For those of you who don't know, let's if we're going to go in detail, let's explain what it is. OK, continuous monitoring is one of the steps in security compliance. And in this case, I'm assuming that they're talking about the framework of NIST 800, uh, 837. So a security compliance, back it up even further. Security compliance, all that is, is a set of rules and protocols, regulations, industry standards that an organization has to meet in order to make sure that they maintain a certain level of security. So in other words, like in retail, you have one of the compliance might be something called PCI DSS. That means, have we secured our point of sale devices, right? It's really important when you go into TJ Maxx or wherever, you slide your card, you wanna know that that card is protected, it's encrypted, it's on a separate network, things like that. So there's a set of rules and a set of steps that an organization like TJ Maxx or Target or whoever has to take in order to secure that data. Now, the government is no difference. The financial sector, they have a security, uh, security compliance and sets of rules that they have to follow. Healthcare industries, they have certain rules they have to follow. And the government also does too. There's this called NIST 800. And what they do is it's a whole process that has to be done in order to secure systems. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at NIST RMF, and I'll show you what um, what continuous monitoring looks like. So I just typed in, I went to Google, I typed in NIST uh, RMF, which stands for Risk Management Framework, and I'm going to show you what the Risk Management Framework looks like. It looks like this. These are all the steps an organization takes. This is kind of blurry. Let me let me find a better one. These are all the steps an organization has to take in order to secure their system because there's hundreds of controls that need to be met. Sometimes there's hundreds of controls on just one system, by the way. Um, so you'll see the first one is categorized. They have to categorize the system to see, okay, is how important is this system? And then they have to select controls based on the importance of that system and the importance of the data on that system. Then they're gonna implement those controls. That means configure controls. That means making sure it's in safe facilities, making sure that all the security features of a system and the, and the surrounding environment. And then implementing, uh, so we talk about selecting the controls, selecting controls based on the impact and then implementing controls. Then they have to assess the controls. That means checking to see if they were actually installed or configured or put in place and then authorize, authorizing the system. In this case, what they're doing is once you've put the controls in, you've, conduct, you've conducted an assessment to make sure that they're, the controls are in uh, effectively, now you want to monitor the controls. Now, this is what the question is talking about, continuous 
monitoring. In this particular framework and risk management framework, NIST 800, one of the main requirements is that you have to continuously, the organization has to always look to make sure that the controls are in place. That makes sense, right? Because if, especially if you're in a large environment, you have hundreds of systems, you've got to make sure that the patches are loaded. You got to make sure that if there's a new threat, that we have protection against it, or we at least have a response against that threat. So that's co what continuous monitoring is all about. Any changes to the system, you know, systems are constantly changing, right? That's why you have continuous monitoring. It's constantly happening all the time. Unlike things like selection of security controls or categorization, that happens like one time, kind of a one and done. And you would only do that again if there's a, like a huge, if, they, if there's like a new system or there's a huge change, you might have to do that. But continuous monitoring is done all the time, like annually. It can be done daily, weekly, semi-annually. It can be done monthly, quarterly. It just depends. Now, their question is, how often do you do that? And they want me to explain this in detail. So let me show you. Uh, one one example of how organizations do this. Now, this varies from organization to organization, so don't think this is the only way to do this. But this this form right here, you can find this on FedRamp, uh, FedRamp.gov site. And what I'm looking at here, if you're listening to me on on audio, is a spreadsheet that breaks down all the controls from the NIST 800. So there's like a thousand controls on this sheet. Um, and of these controls, it has a breakdown of how often they suggest that you do the continuous monitoring. Like I said, it really depends on the organization. The organization, they're the ones that determine how often these controls are monitored. Now, it would behoove them to do it in a, in a timely manner because if they say, okay, well, we, we're going to do it every three years or something, right? Number one, they might be against the federal standards because the federal standards state that some of these things must be done at least annually. You can do it with greater restrictions. Like you can do it quarterly. You can do it weekly. You can do it twice annually, but you can't do it any less than once annually. Some of the controls have that sort of restriction. So you can't, you know, you might be thinking, well, if they can do it whenever they want, what well, if they say we do it every 10 years? So it, it's not going to be good for an organization to do something like that because, number one, they'll be against the federal standard, possibly. And then number two, if you let your system sit there for 10 years, you, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be one of these organizations that has their system like they're working on Windows 95, like still to this day. Like there's some systems like that. There's no reason why they shouldn't. They should do that. But they have all these legacy systems that are sitting out there. They don't even know that they're there because they are not doing any continuous monitoring. Anyway, so she wants to know in detail, how do you do this? How how do you if you have a hundred systems, that means you have literally thousands of controls that you have to continuously monitor. Well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break it into three types. I'm gonna break it into a management type control where you're just doing documentation and you're reviewing the documentation. We're gonna talk about a uh, a technical control where we have to install some code or we have to upgrade some code or something like that. And then we're going to talk about a physical one. Those are three different types of controls. Now, there's other types of controls, but those are like the main three. All right, so let's start off with an easy one. Let's start off with a management type control. So an organization determines how often these controls are done. So what they might do, like especially if you have hundreds of systems and each one of those hundreds of systems has 
literally hundreds of controls in some cases, servers, workstations, you name it, phones, all these things are susceptible and, and need security controls. What organization, I'll, I'll give you a couple of different examples. One organization that I was with, what they did was what we did was we said, okay, our schedule is we're going to take this first set of 50 controls and we're going to do this year, we're going to do a full set of continuous monitoring on these controls. We're literally going to scan them. We're going to look at the documentation. We're going to look through the doc, make sure that the documents are updated. And then the next quarter, we're going to do this set of controls. So we broke it up by either quarter or years because we had so many systems and those systems had so many controls on them. So another organization that I was with, they had different teams that would do that will do continuous monitoring on different sets of controls. So in other words, you'd have one the one team that scans continuously scans like cuz you can do a scan pretty pretty often because you know it's automated. It's in the background. Then you have another team that just did documentation. So they're reviewing documentation. They say, "Okay, we're only going to do documentation once a year because they don't change they only change about every two years. So we'll do it every once a year. We'll we'll look at them and review them and stuff. So you had different teams. So it diff it it differs from organization to organization based off of needs. Okay. Let me show you a very specific example of a of a management type documentation control. So documentation controls are kind of special because they're all in dash once like if you are looking at 800 um the 800 series nist 853 you'll notice that all of these dash ones are all policy and procedure so if i so show you ca1 it's also policy and procedure if i show you pe which is physical physical security it's also uh policy and procedure these are the all the ones that deal with documentation so they're kind of all lumped together and a lot of times You'll have they're I won't say they're easy, but since they're all in one document, if it depends on how the organization does it. But normally what they'll do is have a security policy, and that security policy will be all encompassing. It'll have all the policies, it will address all the how they address all the systems um, and all the controls on one policy in some cases. So in this case, we're looking at AC-1 which is access control policy and procedures. So what we would do is we would do this, number one, usually uh, policies are done annually. And the reason why is because they don't, they don't change very often, right? You might review them or if there's a major change, of course you would revisit it or something, but they're typically only done annually. And um, so, so they're not, not really necessarily easy they can be very difficult especially if you have a lot of documentation and they're constantly changing it can be super super hard stupid hard but normally if they're all in one document and the organization is really good about keeping them updated then it's it's not going to be too bad so how would you actually go about uh doing it a a review uh, a review of this document you would just it's just like it sounds you would read it you would read the policy. You would read the procedures to make sure that to see if anything has changed. And with policies don't normally change, but procedures, they change quite a bit. And they're supposed to be updated um, ever so often. And they're supposed to be looked at by the organization. So just to give you an example, like procedures 
will typically mention a specific vendor, like especially if you're doing like network devices or system administration or something like that. You're you're mentioning a specific type of system. And so the systems, you as you know, they change quite a bit. You know, the operating system might change. The procedure is addressing this old operating system and you're, you're maybe two iterations into a different operating system. You were on Windows 7. Now you're on Windows 11, for example. Right. So that that procedure for say installing um patches on windows 7 no longer applies to your new system which is on windows 10 or windows 11 so that's one example you would read through that procedure and say okay this procedure is old we need to update that and what you would do me as a cybersecurity, uh as an information security officer or the cybersecurity engineer or whatever my title is i'm gonna mention this to the org. I'm going to point this out. We would do a self what's called a self-assessment where we're looking at our own documents. And then I'm going to point this out to my boss and say, hey, guys, this thing is old. What are we going to do about this? We better go ahead and update this. Right. And it's not it's not just on me alone. I'm not the only person in the organization. It's us as a team that have to update this document in the appropriate way. So documentation is pretty straightforward. You would review it. You would read it. And if something is arise, something's bad, you would go ahead and um, annotate that in your proceed in your um, in your continuous monitoring um, plan or in continuous monitoring sheet or whatever. However, you do it. That's another thing. Organizations do this differently. Like the last organization I was with, we would we would conduct assessments on our clients, and the way that we would do it is we would go ahead and do it. The, the documentation piece was done semi-annually. Semi we did it twice a year for our clients. And we would review it. We'd re sit down with a point of contact, which usually was a, some sort of a security person, and we would review their documentation to make sure we were looking for a couple things. Is this outdated? Has the senior leadership updated this? Is it covering all the security controls that they that they're supposed to have? Pretty simple. We just read through it, make sure it had everything, move on to the next procedure uh, document, L read through it, make sure it was updated, move on to the next one. Sometimes the stuff that we saw within the organization didn't match the policy and we would just point that out. So we were pointed out in a report. So you can either do reports. I've seen it done in things like EMAS or Exacta or um, um, what's the other one? Uh, Archer or one of the it's like a database. It's a GRC database, a gover um, governance risk compliance database that collects all the security controls where you can update it all in one spot. And everybody in the organization had access to that system. Not everybody, but all the relevant stakeholders who needed it, they would have access to that system. So whenever you would update it, do continuous monitoring, you can actually annotate it in some of these systems. So you've got spreadsheets you can use. You've got reports that you can put out to senior level execs, and then you've got databases that kind of track it. It depends on how the organization does it. Hope that was detailed enough. So now what we're going to do is we're going to look at one that's a little bit more um, technical. And I just want to, let me see if I can find a real technical type of security control. Technical security controls is like something you implement or something you're going to install or something you're going to have to enable, something on an actual physical system. And this is what I think that she was asking me. So I'm going to go through this one. Um, okay, let's look at, uh, this is an easy one. Audit logs, audit events. Um, 
audit log. So this one, this one is a combination of both um, management and technical. Management in that you normally have to have some sort of documentation of the audit process of how you, how often you update the law, how often they're updated, what is actually tracked in the logs and things like that. But then the technical piece is making sure that they're enabled, making sure that they're on your workstations, on your laptop, notebooks, on your uh, servers, on your net internet working devices, whatever, even firewalls, all that, everything. So you have to make sure that they're enabled. So how do you continuously monitor this? Let's look at this sheet here. This is done quarterly. The recommended continuous monitoring frequency is quarterly. Now, obviously, the organization could change this up. They could say, well, we're not going to do it quarterly. We don't have enough systems for that. We don't, we don't need to look at this particular control quarterly. But the organization, once again, they're the ones who decide when this is actually done. Now, one of the things, let me just show you, one of the things that you could do when you do monitor this is have a have your system administrators, whenever they're looking at audit logs, well, I mean, number one, make sure that the, the audit logs are on. And if they're not on, this is something that actually could be done all the time because you're supposed to be looking at logs continuously, like all the time. Audit logs are super important. They're, they're important to several things. They're important to your incident response. You can't do incident response without having logs. Like it's hard to detect incidents, security, especially malware, things like that without event logs. It's hard to, to detect disasters like system goes down, mishaps without audit logs, maintenance. Basic maintenance has to be done with audit log. Like if you your system went down, you don't know why it went down or when it went down. You might go to the audit logs to figure out, okay, what what happened at at one a.m. on Tuesday to make the system go down. You would look at the audit logs. There's so many reasons why you would look at audit logs. You could tie audit logs back to when a person logged in. Let's say somebody was doing some criminal activity, some kind of insider threat stuff. You would look at the audit logs to determine who was logged in at that time. When did that person log in? Audit logs are super important, and it's something that continuously can be monitored and helps continuous continuous monitoring as a whole. Because part of your one of the main ways that you look at your system is event logs to make sure that the system was on, to make sure that the system uh, hasn't been tampered with. All those kinds of things are a part of continuous monitoring. So, how do you monitor the actual event logs? You would go into the system, like let's say you're on Windows. You would look at the event. You would determine whether or not Event Viewer, for example, on Windows is turned on. You would go into Red Hat and Linux and look at audit logs to make sure that not only are the audit logs on, but they're sending the logs to the proper place on the proper channel. You would look at things like that. Technically, you would actually log into the system, go into the place where the audit logs are, and then you would check on the actual to make sure it's enabled. And if you have a large environment or a medium environment, and in her case, she said she had 100 systems, she probably have a central repository where all the logs are being collected. So part of your continuous monitoring process would be to literally log on to that logging system and make sure that Splunk or whatever seam or whatever system you're using is actually tracking the logs uh, in real time. And so that could be a part of your continuous monitoring process. And that's killing 100 birds with one stone because you could literally, especially if it's configured correctly, 
all the logs are going to one place. So you can literally go to one system, make sure all the logs are coming in. And if they're not, then, you know, you've done your job. Continuous monitoring is done. Now you just annotate which system is not being is not logging and then you're done with that one. So that's how you do technical. And it's the same thing like if you're doing password protection or auto logs actually help with a lot of the technical ones, to be honest with you, because auto logs can tell you if weak passwords are in place. Auto logs can tell you if uh, one of the things that you can audit is like uh, whether or not scans are being completed. You can literally see the scans in the audit log sometimes. Uh, or you can go to the system that uh, conducts the scanning. You can go to your firewall, see where uh, what what's being blocked in going and outgoing from your from your audit logs. That's all stuff in audit logs. So audit logs is one place, one central place that you can do a lot of of your continuous monitoring throughout the whole environment just from one place if you've configured it to where all the logs are going to one place. So that is how you do your technical piece very specifically. How do you look at every single system? Well, her question was she has 100 systems. Like how do we – how how do we hit every single system and all hundred all these thousands of controls on a hundred different systems? It's it's a good question, but at the same time, like the organization can dice these up. They can say, okay, in the first part of our quarter, we're gonna do all of our we're gonna do all of our audit logs that are logging to this system. And the way we're gonna do that conduct this uh, continuous monitoring is we're gonna look at that central repository of logs. We're gonna make sure all hundred systems are logging. And that you're done. That's it. That that covers that whole all hundred systems by looking at one system. Now, let's say your audit logs are on. They're turned on, but there's no central logging. Um, how do you check all the systems? Well, one of the things you can do is who's configuring the systems. Uh, typically, if you have that many systems, uh, the systems are configured with like a GPO, like a, a global policy. Um, Global policy orchestrator. I can't remember what the O is, <laughs> but you have a GPO that is it's a policy that's managing all the systems. So you could go to your system administrator and you could say, let me see your GPO. Let me see the, the current GPO that's controlling all hundred systems. And you could look through it's It's got a printout that will have a list of all of the features that are turned on uh, in the environment. And you could look at to see if the audit logs are turned on on every system. That's one way that you can look at continuous monitoring across all systems at once. Continuous monitoring is a team effort. A lot of times what will happen is they'll come to us, a cybersecurity person, an information system security person, and they'll say, look, we have 100 systems. We need you to go, go ahead and do the continuous monitoring. Okay, go ahead. Time's ticking. You, you've got two months to do it. you got three months to do it. you got one year to do all 100 systems. So what you're going to do is you're going to plan it out. If they do that, you're going to say, well, I'm not you don't you're not going to do it by yourself. This is a team effort. You're going to go contact the system administrators. And you're going to say, OK, let me see your GPO. Let me see the GPO so I can check and make sure that there hasn't been any changes. You can ask them, are there any, any anomalies? Are there any systems like Mac systems that don't necessarily abide by the GPO like they're not within the GPO how what can we do about this these systems and, and then maybe those ones you have to check manually you have to literally log in 
see if the audit logs are turned on. Are the audit logs are audit logs still there? You might have to do that. But it's a team effort. So what you're going to do is you're going to work with the whole team. This is where meetings come in. You're going to talk to your firewall people. You're going to ask. You're going to ask about um, incident responses. Like, are are we doing our incident responses across the environment? Some of the controls they touch. They touch everything. And and audit logs are one of those controls that can touch everything. I IR uh, controls are another one. IR means incident response. It touches everything. You're not hitting every single system. Every system is under the in uh, the IR controls. So you're just gonna make sure that you have a policy in place that uh, that ex explains incident response. You're gonna you're going to make sure that there's an incident response team. How do they respond? Have they done any action act uh, after action reports? That means like, do they know what to do if something actually does go down? Are they doing that? So it sounds daunting. It sounds like, if, okay, we have 100 systems. We have – there's 100 controls on 100 systems. Like how are we going to do this? But a lot of controls actually are in umbrellas that cover everything. Policies is one of them, and there's several other ones. Now I'm going to talk about one last control set of physical security controls. It's, it's very different. Physical control, security controls do – can be technical – they can be technical. Uh, they can be technical. They can be management based. But the main piece of it is literally checking the physical environment, making sure the environment um, fits the, the system like it's not too hot, not too cold, not wet in there. It has to be a certain controlled environment, making sure that the AC works, things like that. Um, and then also, of course, the physical security around it does. Do we have fences? Do we need fences? Do we have are we are the doors locked? Are we controlling entry and exit into the actual facility itself? And then are we controlling entry and exit into the actual inner sanctum of the system, the actual restricted areas, the sensitive areas where the actual computer is? Do we have control over physical access to the system itself or do we just allow anybody to just go touch in the system anytime that they want? These are things that we have to that we're going to look into. These are things that we as cybersecurity people need to know about. Now, do we do this ourselves? No, typically there's a physical security team. This is why I said it's not a one man show. It's not a one person show. You are going to have to meet with different parts of the organization. There's a what's called a common control provider who controls the physical security. You're not the person at the front desk controlling everything you don't know like you're not in control of that you have to talk to the people who are in control the subject matter experts on the physical security there's going to be a physical security team who does their walk arounds who controls the alarm systems who maybe watches the cameras you need to go sit down and talk to them and that's how you conduct your continuous monitoring you're going to sit down with them look take a look at their at the uh, physical security policies, is there anything that we that has changed? Is has it been updated in the past year? Is it is has it been reviewed by senior leadership in the past year? Um, you're going to ask them questions like, um, "Have there been any incidents? Do we have alarm systems? Are the alarm systems up?" How that's continuous monitoring. You're sitting down 
with the different stakeholders within the organization, your physical security people, your um, your system administrators, your privacy people, your every there's different parts of the organization. You just have to, as a system security person, a cybersecurity person, you're gonna go and talk to each it, it meet with each these people and figure out where we are with the with uh with the control. Is the control still relevant? Are we up to date? Have we? What's the current status of it? That is how you do continuous monitoring, in a nutshell. Now I know I went pretty long on that one. I spoke for like over twenty minutes on just one thing, but that was one question. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, let me. I'm gonna answer a couple other questions here. Let me see. Somebody said, um, "Thank you for posting this regarding the course you recommended." Can an aspiring information systems security uh, engineer acquire useful information from its entirety um, or certain components. Additionally, what methods or platforms on only YouTube uh, can you can your viewers submit questions? So I'm actually going back to work soon. So very soon I'm not going to be able to do like deep stuff like this. I won't be able to answer like for a little bit. I was actually doing one on ones and stuff. I don't. I don't know that I'll be able to do that with my job, um, to be honest with you. I just won't have the time to do it. Uh, so the best way to contact me is on social media. Questions, I'll do these things, and I'll just answer questions in a very deep way. I just spent 20, 30 minutes on one question where I went into great detail and show you where to download this, how I got that form, all that kind of stuff. That was very detailed. But also you can reach me on YouTube, on Facebook. on uh, I'm not on Instagram a lot. Um, I just don't got a lot of traction there. But TikTok, I'll do one a lot of one-on-one -on -one videos on TikTok because a lot of people ask me kind of the same question over and over again. So the best way to contact me, I'd say, is uh, if you want free information, is social media. Um, another place that you can actually get information anytime would be uh, my site, ComboCourses.com. I got tons of free stuff there if you're interested in that. Uh, you can just sign up for free and just start getting a bunch of information. For example, I did this whole breakdown on CIS control maps, and I, I put a downloadable there for people to go ahead and check out. And there's a video there. I believe I op uploaded the video. It's free. I got tons of stuff on how to get into this or into this business uh, for free. I've got just a lot of stuff. I got stuff as low as like 20 bucks if you want to. Um, get a book on risk management framework, the stuff I'm talking about now. Um, so yeah, tons of free stuff. You can contact me on uh, Instagram. Um, not so much Instagram, but you can ask me questions on Instagram. I, I answer some questions there for some time. Facebook, uh, TikTok, and and YouTube. Th that's the best way to add um, to to uh, to get to me. Um, other than that, I also have an email at um, it's contact at convocourses.com that you can get to me that way as well. Uh, let me see. Somebody is laughing at me because I, I pronounced Hyundai wrong because I said Hyundai. <laughs> it's supposed to be Hyundai. Okay, learn something new every day. I didn't know that. Um, great stuff. Keep it coming. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Let me see. I get, I'm getting so many questions from TikTok. It's crazy. I, I can't even keep up with the questions. There's so many. But let me see if I can answer at least one. So here I am on TikTok, and somebody said they're they're talking about 
a GS position. I think I did a video about a GS position. What is this video about? They said, what if I'm not a citizen? What are some roles that I could be looking at? This is an easy question. This is easy. Here's what I would do. If I was not a citizen of the United States, um, there's really so many jobs. If you're willing to do the work, then they have so many jobs. People in the U.S., we're, we're really spoiled, man. Um, I know Americans are very sensitive, very, very sensitive people. You can't really <laughs> you say stuff about them. like just cry. They want to cancel you and stuff. It's like they're very sensitive and um, they complain a lot about no jobs. And I've been to several countries where there's literally no jobs. There's literally hard times. Um, there's literally no jobs. There's people with degrees working in a fast food place because there's no jobs. There's people leaving their country. The best and brightest are fleeing the country because it's really bad. The U.S. is is for all the problems people complain about, we have first world problems. At some point, it's not going to be like this. At some point, it's going to be really hard, and we're going to have really hard times. We're right. This is not. This is not one of those times. There's a lot of jobs. People do not want to take the effort. This is my opinion, okay? And I know I'll probably get some backlash on this, but there are a lot of jobs, okay? There's a lot. Of, if for those who are willing to work. There's a lot of jobs. And if you don't want to work, there's also businesses that you can start. It's not easy. I'm not, I did not suggest it's easy to work a job. I'm not saying it's easy to uh, to start a business, right? And it's not easy to uh, suddenly make six figures. But this country, for all the bad things, I can name off a ton of bad things that U.S. is not good at. I've been to 15, 16, 17 different countries I've been at been in two combat zones. I've been in, in in countries that have extreme poverty. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Um, the U.S. is not doing too bad. The healthcare sucks here. The healthcare system sucks. Um, they'll these sensitive Americans. They're gonna attack me for saying that, but it's 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 really bad here. It's really really bad. Uh, it, I've been to other countries that. Uh, that are poorer than the U.S. who who have a better healthcare system than the U.S. Facts. Um, it's the 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 taxes are off the charts. Uh, off the charts. All the poor people and middle class will will literally stab me in the face if they ever see me, and I say that to their face. They don't like you talking bad about the U.S. They're very sensitive here. They're crybabies. That being said, how do you get a job as a foreigner? Here in the U.S. Let me show you. Okay. Indeed.com is one way. Okay. I go here all the time because it's just, a, it's just the, the format's very simple. Uh, and I like it. I like how they put it together. This is one of the places. This is not the top place by any means to get a job. I just want to demonstrate something to you. So if you are a foreign national here in the U.S. and you want to get a job, Here's how you could do it. You can just type in IT jobs. Don't type in IT jobs. Type in your profession and then look for jobs. Okay. And uh, here it comes up with all this stuff. Now, some of these jobs, you have to be a U.S. citizen. It'll usually tell you. But watch this. Now, now check this out. So now I put in IT jobs. You put whatever profession you're in, whatever skill set you have, put it in here. Um. Depending on your profession, some some sites are better than others when it comes to certain professions. Like there might be a better site if you're a nurse or something. 
than than Indeed.com. Indeed's pretty good for nurses, but IT nursing, any kind of thing where you need a resume, Indeed.com is, is going to be pretty good at it. Now watch this. Green card. Green card. Green card holder. I know about this because I get a lot of offers from jobs and they'll say, hey, it's okay if you're a green card holder for this particular job. But sometimes they'll say, no, it's not okay. You have to be a U.S. citizen or whatever. But look at this. I just typed in IT jobs, green card holder. Yeah, green green holder. I didn't spell it right. Let me see. Green card. Let's put green card. Okay. And there's a there are some jobs here that specifically say you can be a green card holder. I just want to demonstrate that to you. Um, and they have a another name for it. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, here, here it is right here. See that? Able to obtain a public trust clearance. So these guys actually will give you a clearance. And then it says U.S. citizen or green card. That's how you do it. They say that there's no jobs here. There's a lot of jobs. Is especially in in the what I'm doing in my industry, people don't even want to work right now. People like literally when you walk around town, you'll see for help signs. People do not want to work. They do not want to work. Um, and hey, more power to you if you could find another way to to not work. Um, working sucks. Like the amount of hours you have to put in and and all that kind of stuff. But you, as foreign nationals, I noticed that they don't take this place for granted. They don't take the opportunities here for granted. Um, yes, there's problems. You know, nobody's saying that there's not problems here, but jobs is not one of them. I'm just telling you. Let me show you something else. A really good site to go to, probably, in my opinion, the best site you can go to is Dice.com. If you're technical, if you're an IT person, foreign national, yeah, for sure. Whether it's U.S. citizen or foreign national, Dice.com. I, I most of the job offers, the real job offers I get come from Dice.com or Monster. Those two. Uh, LinkedIn is also good, but uh, just from my personal experience, Monster and Dice.com has been the. I get most of the the best um, possible. The best probabilities for me to get a job have come from those two, Dice and Monster. But that being said, you should definitely still put your resume on all top sites. Now, if you want to know what are the top sites to go on for a U.S. citizen, whatever country you're in. Actually, this works for any any country you're in. Uh, you'll do this. You'll type – This is I'm on Google. I'm typing in top, uh, top job sites for USA and then it'll list what you'll do is skip all these ads all these see these ads don't go to these these are good sites though but sometimes it'll it'll come the results will be some third tertiary ass site these are good ones though upwork is really good i'll show you that one in a second dice monster I already told you about those two they're they're the best but you want to go to one of these because what we're looking for is the top 10 job boards in the U.S. Now, you want to do this with every, any country that you're in. If you're in the U.K., you want to do it there. If you're, you're trying to look for Canadian jobs, you happen to be there. 
whether or not you're a citizen or not, doesn't matter. You want to do this. This is what you want to do right here. Top sites in insert country. And then you'll see the top sites. And this is this is pretty close. This is pretty close. You want to look at three different uh, top site type places because it'll have a you'll notice there's a top five that always come up. Right? You'll see career builder in the U.S. Indeed. You'll see monster. You usually see LinkedIn. There it is. ZipRecruiter has been getting bigger. Snag a job has a bunch of retail jobs on it. So, yeah, you'll see those five ones pop up. You want to go to every one of those, and that's where you want to apply for jobs. That's where you want to put your profile up, upload your resume, all that kind of stuff. So can you get jobs here? Absolutely. There's tons of jobs here. Um, people are saying – I mean, there's, you know, a recession is definitely coming and stuff, but there's no shortage of jobs, jobs, not yet. I mean, I'm, they, it might happen soon, but I'm just telling you, my industry alone in cybersecurity has hundreds of thousands of job openings. I'm telling you, like whenever I go to a job, they're having us do extra work because there's not enough people to do it. I mean, nobody wants to do this stuff. Nobody wants to do the work. So now they're having the people who do work are having to wear five or six hats because nobody else wants to do it. So it's like, I don't, I don't have to tell you that's, that's what's happening. That's the reality of what's happening with these jobs. Um, I mentioned Upwork. Um, another thing you can do if you want to, you're a freelancer, especially if you're a programmer, if you're a developer of some sort, if you happen to be an artist, if you, if you happen to be a graphic designer, if you happen to do 3d models, if you happen to do, Upwork is a really good place uh, for artists, a really good place. Are you going to make a lot of money? I mean, you'll probably, it's like a side hustle. I, I wouldn't say, I don't know anybody personally who's making a living off of it, to be honest with you, but you can make some cash off Upwork. I don't know about Fiverr, but Upwork for sure. Uh, you can make some, I've paid people quite a bit of money on Upwork um, to do work for me for, for some side hustles that I have. And I'm talking about paying them like a thousand bucks for some work. So, yeah. So that's another place you can go besides uh, the job boards. Um, so let me let me answer some more questions here. I've got. I'll probably answer this one again on TikTok because um, people on TikTok tend to only be on TikTok. There, so he's never going to see this message. Okay. It says I'm a couple classes into a BS cybersecurity program. I love the field and. Am in search of internship. Where could I look for something entry level? Uh, right on, right, right on these job boards. Like you can literally find them on these job boards. So what you would do if you're looking for a a um, entry level position is you would go like this. You'd say, let me let me see cyber. Let's see if we want to say cyber security entry level right there, right? But check this out. We can just we can even just say we can just say engineer. And then I believe on here it'll have full time entry. OK, normally they have experience level. Look at this experience level. And most of the sites do this. Monster does it. Dice does it. LinkedIn does it. They have a breakdown of experience level and you can sort you can filter by experience level. So there's two thousand seven hundred eighteen entry level positions for what I just typed in for uh oh crap I just typed in, in green card okay that's wrong I wanted to type cyber 
security. Let's just let's just put cybersecurity. Let's let's not put anything else. So cybersecurity, and I put entry level. And uh, and bonus, look, you can put remote. There's eight thousand remotes. <laughs> There's eight thousand remote jobs. That's that's ridiculous. It, it, it's not used to be like that. It wasn't like that before. Anyway, so look at this. There's all kinds of entry level jobs that just popped up. Some of them are remote, as a matter of fact. Um, let's see. Entry level. Sometimes they even have internship. I know that. Dice.com has internships here. So not just entry level. Look, no experience required. Look, 89 jobs. No experience required. Now just type in cybersecurity. This is how hungry they are for work. Now, these are old jobs. So you another thing you want to do is look in the last in the last 14 days. You don't want to just look for everything because you'll see miracle jobs there. You're like, oh. Oh my God, but that job's gone. It's it's been gone, you know. So so I just I just typed in cybersecurity, no experience required. And look at this. Look at this. No jobs. There's no jobs. Nobody can find any jobs. I don't know. I, just, I don't I don't understand what people are saying when they say that. I don't understand. Now, some of these are army jobs, military jobs. <laughs> <laughs> U.S. Army, U.S. Army, U.S. Army, uh, but some not all of them are U.S. Army. Look at this one's between. I don't know if this one's even real. This does not. They they must have made a mistake because this is a hundred fifty thousand dollar to two hundred thousand dollar job, and they're saying they're saying that you don't have to have experience. That's this is this is not correct. That's wrong. Um, this one looks like it might be correct though. Yeah, that might be correct. Sixty six thousand. No experience. They expect you to know some stuff when you walk in, though. All right. I think that's it, guys. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been, for some reason, at 10 o'clock at night, people are still watching me. It's just weird. You guys are some weirdos, man. But anyway, uh, all you weirdos who are listening to me right now, thank you. Keep it up. Stay weird. Um, I'll see you guys on the next one. <laughs>